Well, good afternoon. It is good to see you. It's good to be back with you as we have another opportunity to worship our God. And certainly that's what we'll do, an opportunity to study from his word. And that certainly is what we will do. It's been made mention, and we've kind of put it out on social media, and Keith made mention of it this morning about our topic for this afternoon's discussion and study. Keith also made the point, and it's an important one, and one that we need to always keep on our mind, this topic, as well as any topics discussed from here, is going to come from God's Word. That is the key, and it will absolutely be the key tonight. We will not talk politics tonight. We will not talk the news tonight. We will not even give one statistic about anything tonight outside of we will be 100% interested in what God has to say on this subject. That is the only statistic that we will cover tonight. This lesson will not be a lesson about men or young boys liking the color pink or young girls or women liking sports or enjoying getting dirty outside. Again, that are cultural things that God could care less about. But there are things surrounding this subject that he cares deeply about, directions that he has given, boundaries that he has set, and just like Every other topic, if we step outside of his direction, if we step outside of boundaries that he has set in place, we have sinned. There's no other way to say it than that. Living your life outside of God's direction and his will, living your life outside of boundaries that he has set is sin. And we cannot state it any differently than that. Well, let's get into our discussion for tonight. A question, a question that is rampant in our culture. A question like this, what is a man? A question like, what is a woman? I will admit, questions that if you would have asked me five or ten years ago, I would have been adamant to say that those in my lifetime would never be questions that culturally or societally we would struggle with. Now, lots of other questions I'm not surprised that we struggle with in our culture. A lot of other issues that we struggle with. But answering what a man is or answering what a woman is never in my wildest dreams would have been a question that I would say culturally or even the smartest, educationally, the smartest people among us cannot or will not or struggle to answer. It doesn't make a lick of difference what I may think about that. It's where we are. We are in a culture We are living and maintaining ourselves in a society that today in the year 2022, there are lots of people struggling with this question. Now for us as followers of God's people, I want us to understand right at the outset, 
that questions like this, what is a man, what is a woman, questions surrounding the transgender issues or agenda, much like we've talked recently about homosexuality and the issues and, and the things surrounding that culturally are very difficult for people to deal with. But for us as God's people, we can have the confidence to answer questions like this. To answer questions about what a man is or what a woman is. Answer questions about homosexuality or answer questions about what God thinks about those things. And we should have confidence to be able to answer those kinds of questions because God has no trouble answering those questions. Even like the questions behind me, what a man is or what a woman is, God's provided the answer to that question. And he has so much provided the answer to that question. He is the one who built and created the definition. And certainly the one who created the definition of these is in no way afraid to answer the question. And so tonight, we're going to go at this a couple of different ways. I had told John, this is a lesson that that I knew I had coming up for, I mean, months, several months now probably. And so I've been thinking about it along the way. And I remember telling John maybe last week when I was really kind of working on it, that originally in my mind as I was kind of putting some things together, I felt I could easily have presented a lesson on this topic in 10 minutes or in one hour. Those were the two options that I had in the moment. And now you're sitting there wondering, what option did he choose? Did he go with A or did he go with B? Well, I I did uh, go with neither of those. I, I was able, I hope, to give us some things to think about biblically in the middle of those two things, in the middle of those two things, that hopefully can be helpful. That hopefully can be helpful as this is certainly a relevant topic in our culture and in our society, and one that biblically we can go to for help. And so that's going to be the game plan for tonight. We're going to really look at it from two different ways. We're going to look at it from two different places, kind of two thoughts, one much longer than the other, but the very best place to start on a topic like this most certainly is to go all the way back to the very beginning. And so if you've got a Bible handy, I certainly encourage you to use it. We're going to be in it for the rest of our time and our study tonight. We're going to start again in the book of Genesis, and we're going to be spending some time here in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, a little bit into Genesis 3 as well. And when you think about this topic, I want us to understand there is a lot, a lot to learn about this topic that is pulled from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. A lot of principles, a lot of things that foundationally God set in place that helps us when thinking about a topic like this, foundationally set in place literally from the very beginning. And so we're going to start with the reading that I have on the screen behind me. It is a bit jumpy, even though we're going to go in a row We're going to read Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then we're going to read Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And then we're going to skip down to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Now, even though I'm going to go back and make some of the points, I want you, I want you to be looking. 
for things in this passage that, can, that you think can be helpful. You'd be stud- that's you studying along with me tonight. I want you to be looking for those things, and then we'll go back and we'll hit a few of them along the way. So Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Let's listen to what God said. It says that God said, let, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food also. To every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now I want you to jump down from chapter 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Pull down just a few verses now, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, I hope as we read that passage together, uh, really highlighted the creation of man. There at the end of the sixth day, uh, chapter two reiterates that story for us in a bit more detail. I, I hope you were, as we were working through that, uh, took notice of a few things that may help with the topic that we're discussing. And I want to go back now, and I want to point out a couple of things that I believe are important. And I want us to begin where this story begins. And what I found interesting is that when it comes to man and woman, specifically in the Bible, the Bible starts not with their differences, but with their equality. 
Now, most certainly there are differences, and we're going to certainly talk more about that. But I think it's interesting that the Bible, it starts, again, not with the differences between men and women, but with their equality. And what is their equality? That both men and women are image bearers of God. They were created both. Both were created. Both were created in the image of God. And that way, God defines this as equal in value. Now, why is that important? Well, I'll tell you exactly why that's important. One of the biggest overriding thoughts with the issue like we're talking about tonight of transgenderism or people that are struggling with those kinds of thoughts, driving those thoughts almost always is someone who is struggling with their worth. I'm not worth what I am now. I want to be something different. I have no value in what I am now. I want to be something different so that I can have some value. But yet, scripturally, the Bible begins with making the point that in God's eyes, we all have incredible value. Now listen, there is a reality in that. And it's important for us to take, we're going to come back to that as well. But an understanding of what our personal worth is, is a huge issue when we think about this topic specifically. Now, there are easily recognizable differences. We're going to talk about some of those here in just a moment. But where I want us to settle with Genesis chapter 1, 2, and a little bit into Genesis chapter 3, is that although men and women are 100% equal in value and worth before God, that reality is there, but at the same time, we can also recognize the differences between men and women. And to me, listen, the next few minutes are the biggest key to this whole thing. That's why I could have finished in 10 minutes instead of the 20 that I'm going to do. But one of the most important things to think about with this idea is an understanding of how God operates. God made you you. He made you, you. It was his plan for you. It was his design for you. And I think it's important for each and every one of us to understand that being male or being female is determined by God himself. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. That's the mother and father. They're the ones that determine that. Now listen, I'm not going to jump into the biology of all of this. But scripturally tells us that in the womb, in conception, it is God who is going to work there. How do we know that? Well, listen to what David says in Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, listen to the words and the way that he phrases this idea. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13. He says, this is David to God. For you, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
marvelous are your works, and my soul knows very well. You see, David is acknowledging the fact that it was God. God was the one who formed his parts in the womb. We begin to take a step back from that. We grab hold of that reality. It was God who determined what you would be. And he built you, created you in the womb. Now David in Psalm 139 praises God for that. Marvelous are your words. But unfortunately, there are others who spits in the face of that. Think about it another way. Uh, One of the incredible and many benefits with being married to Kim for the last 25 years is being married to an art teacher, an artist, someone who loves art and having, uh, you know, ability to travel as we have. I have happily and energetically went to museums all over the world. I drag her along. I drag her along. I say, let's just go to this museum. And she's like, another museum. And I'm like, yes, we love it. But we go to all of these museums. And, you know, some of it I like and some of it I don't understand. But I can recognize this. Maybe you have had opportunity to see what we would describe as a masterpiece, a piece of art done or painted by what we would call a master, a a piece of work by Vincent van Gogh, the Mona Lisa by da Vinci. I, I mean, one of the masters, and you're able to see it. How would it go over if we would take a work of art like the Mona Lisa, done, a masterpiece by everybody's standards, and we take it off the wall? You can't get very close to it. Let's pretend you can take it off the wall. And we bring it to your desk, and we just scratch it out with like a knife. And we paint like a tree over top of it. And maybe that's a pretty tree. I don't know. But who's okay with that? No, everybody is worked up because you have taken a masterpiece and changed it, ruined it. That is transgenderism. Every single one of us who are born are perfect masterpieces created by God. We are perfect masterpieces created by God. And the ridiculousness of thinking that I can scratch that out and try to create something else is as presumptuous against God and his design as almost anything that we can do. Now, that reality makes a huge difference in this topic. The understanding that when we are born, we are perfect masterpieces. Perfectly created by God. Perfectly created with an idea, a plan, His will, and roles that are defined. 
And so when we begin to think about gender itself, and, and we, we ask ourselves, well, then how could we or should we view gender? I think we can view gender in, in this way of certainly the physical body is a big play in that. It most certainly involves our physical sex, referring to the fact that we are created male or female. We see that language used specifically in Genesis chapter 1. But yet at the same time, God also provides within the male, within the female, dispositions or inclinations in addition to our fundamental physical differences. Masculinity, femininity. We see that play out in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We're going to see an example of that here in just a second. We see that even more formalized through our roles as God prescribes in the home, such as in Ephesians chapter 5, or even in the Lord's church, such as in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 3. We see God formalizing those roles to accentuate those differences. You see, what we learn in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 is that although we are equal bearers of God's image, there are most certainly distinct differences. Even the very first mandate that God lays out to man, did you notice what that was? The very first mandate laid out to man in Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful and multiply. Man needs woman for that to happen. Woman needs man for that to happen. Man cannot fulfill God's mandate to be fruitful and multiply on his his own. He needs woman as his helper. Here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we get the image of man leaving his parents and clinging to his wife. He is, or she is his helper, his anchor. He needs her. Because God created them to complement one another in the most perfect of designs. Even after sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3, the differences and roles of men and women, male and female, are accentuated. In Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters into this world and punishment is doled out. The punishment is doled out specifically to men per his inclinations and dispositions and roles that God has laid out. And punishment is laid down on women per their differences from men. We see that again from nearly the very first page in our Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, for instance, Genesis chapter 3, listen to what's said to verse 17. It says, then to Adam, God says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, Then you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. 
every single time I'm standing up here reading a passage like that. And in a night like tonight with literal sweat rolling down my face currently, reminded of a passage like this. But yet punishments laid out on the woman was very different from that to the man. Why? Because they are different. And so to the woman in verse 16, he says this, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. God lays out punishments directly in the situation of childbearing for the woman. Why? Because it is the women who bear the children, not the men. It doesn't make a lick of difference what our society or what our culture says is the case. This is how God created these things. And so when we begin to think, there is one other spot that I want us to go to kind of help us with these kinds of ideas. We had been kind of spending some time in reality of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Now let's get a little bit deeper into the heart. Because in a lot of ways, I think it comes down to simply being content with God's blessings. And I think that's a lot of the point that God is trying to make. You remember the point that we made a moment ago about God and his creation? For each and every one of us, each and every one of us even sitting right here right now, God has created us perfectly for what he intended us to be. Now we can go a couple of ways with that. We can be grateful for the blessing that he has provided me with being a man or you can be grateful with the blessing that he provided in you and being a woman and being content with what God has set in place for us. Or we can push that aside and pretend that we can be something else. We can call it all kinds of things. When we begin to react in that kind of way, the boundaries and direction that God has set in place for our life, we step outside of and try to go a different direction. It is the very definition of sin. The very definition of it. And so whether we have been brought forth as a man or whether we have been brought forth as a woman by God, we have to realize it is his plan. And so therefore we need to be grateful for that, productive in the roles that he has laid out for us and content in the roles that he has laid out for us. God will make the point. He does not want us altering his plan, any of his plans, including this one. He makes that abundantly clear, even abundantly clear, even within the pages of the old law. You know, there are a lot of things in the old law that he hits, hundreds and hundreds of of laws and statutes to be followed. Even this idea pops up. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, listen to the the framework and boundary and how simple it is that God lays out for his people here. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5, listen to what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5, a woman, a woman 
shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to your Lord, to the Lord your God. Now, we may stand back and say, well, what big difference does that make? Well, hopefully in our conversation so far tonight, you're able to see the big difference. God has created us. He has created us in a, in a direct line. He has put a plan within us, roles that we are to fulfill. And if I am audacious enough to say I'm not satisfied with what God has blessed me with or the roles that he has provided me with or the place that he has put me in, that's not good enough for me. I'm going to go in a different way. Even in something like this, it is an abomination. In Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 1, he who is emasculated or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Talking specifically there about the eunuch, someone who eunuchs themselves. God is not interested in that. He's not interested in that kind of decision-making. Because we are stepping outside of his boundaries. He says anyone mutilates themselves. They're not going to inherit the, into the congregation of the Lord. But I do want to add something to that. Before we start to think, well, that just sounds ridiculous. Why would God ever come up with something like that? Well, he has set boundaries. But yet at the same time, we know God to be compassionate. We know God to be gracious. So think about this passage. Open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 56. We just read a passage in Deuteronomy 22 and in Deuteronomy chapter 23, very straightforward, uh, very blunt, harsh, maybe you think. But look at Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56. Look, beginning in verse 4 of that text. You want to talk about the goodness of God, the graciousness of God? He says in Isaiah 56 and verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. It's an interesting passage there where he says now even to the eunuchs where he says in Deuteronomy chapter 23 that they're going to be cut off from entering into the congregation of the Lord. But yet here in Isaiah 56, the goodness, the graciousness of God, if they choose me and they follow my commandments and keep my Sabbaths, there's a place for them, an everlasting place, showing a way back to God. But I want us to understand, as kind of we bring this down to it a little bit, I think for some, maybe even for most, specifically in this arena, one of the biggest points to grab hold of is contentment. Contentment with what we have. Contentment with what we've been given, specifically by God. 
One final passage, and we're going to close. In Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul has a lot to say specifically about contentment. And I think there are several things that he alludes to. Resources, even, to help us to be content. Because a lot of times that's the question. I want to be content, but how do I do that? How do I practice contentment? How do I become more content? It's a great question, and one that I think God answers for us. One of those answers, I think, is given here in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, we're going to read down through verse 20 of this text, and we'll point out just a couple of things along the way. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I think it's important to point out, and we commonly do when talking about the book of Philippians, a a book where Paul accentuates joy and accentuates contentment as he writes from prison. But it is his mindset, it is his heart. He makes reference, as he does in verse 10, I believe, to the providence of God, the acknowledgement that ultimately God is in control. And if we can come to that reality in our own mind, in our own heart, it is one of the resources we have in order to be content, that God is in control. Secondly, that he has the power. One of the verses that we love that probably uh, besides be still and know that I am God dominates the sign industry when it comes to Bible passages. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, a, A generalized truth for sure, but as Paul writes here in context, He writes that Christ gives him the strength to be content. How is it that I can be content? I'm here in prison. How can I be content? Well, Christ gives me strength. Sometimes we need to come to that reality as well. How can I be content in the role that God has placed me in? As a man, as a husband, as a father, how can I be content in the role that God has placed me in as a wife, as a mother, as a woman? 
Maybe those are things that you struggle with or there is difficulty there. Christ can give you the strength for contentment. And as he closes, it is incredible to me, specifically verse 18. I have all that I need, he says. But not just that, I have in abundance. As he writes from prison. Christ has provided everything that he needs. And for us, what an incredible way to learn contentment. Certainly, a principle that can play in all kinds of arenas. But I believe really plays in the arena that we're talking about tonight. Because when you talk to someone who is struggling with some of these kinds of thoughts, it almost always will boil down with contentment issues. I'm just not happy in what I'm in. Well, let's understand that what we are in physically, the body that we have, was designed perfectly by God. He has provided us a perfect plan, a perfect will, perfect boundaries and direction that we should be so grateful to be able to follow. Now, I recognize there are culturally a lot of fingers in this topic for sure. As I said, I felt like I could have spoke for 10 minutes or an hour. But I think for us as God's people, this is the groundwork that we need to have conversations. Maybe you're sitting there and you think, well, that just seems like an oversimplification of the issue. The issue is complex. I don't think that it is. I don't think that it is. There are some difficult decisions. There are some difficult things that people have to to deal with for sure. The topic itself is simple. God created male and female. And he has perfectly prescribed each and every one of us to be one or the other. What an incredible blessing that it is. Stepping outside of that is sinful. And so hopefully some of these things have been helpful. If you've got more of a question or you want to have a deeper conversation about it, I'd be certainly open to be having that conversation sitting at a table somewhere and we could talk about these things further. But I do appreciate each and every one of you for being here tonight and to have this study specifically from God's Word on a topic so pertinent to our culture and society today. It may be one of those things that we think, well, why should we ever want to have to talk about this? Well, it is a relevant thing. And it is a relevant thing where once again is proven God's word covers all relevant things in all times of man. Something that in my mind, as I said 10 years ago, I would have said would never be a question that I would ever have. And I have that question today, and who has the answer? God and his word. That is a powerful way to look at it, a powerful way. And so we're going to have an opportunity to sing a song, a song of invitation. It gives us an opportunity to be thinking about 
our relationship with God, and it is a great opportunity, an incredible opportunity for all of us to be thinking about our relationship. And it may be that your relationship isn't where it needs to be. We want you to know there's urgency with that. If you understand and you know your relationship with God is not where it needs to be, let's do something about that, and let's do something about that tonight. Maybe we can help. If that's the case, you let us know as we stand and sing.